what we're doing is looking at um, just kind of eschatology. Now, eschatology might be a, a, a weird word for some of you, but eschatology just means the study of end times or last things, coming from two root words, eschatos, meaning last things, and logos, to study. And so that's what we're um, doing, which we began a couple weeks ago as we started looking at the rapture. Today, sadly, uh, I shouldn't say sadly, but we're, we're looking at the tribulation today and uh, next Sunday. And there's some stuff in there that's not super exciting, but it is things to come. But praise the Lord, we are not looking for the tribulation. We are looking for the appearing of Jesus Christ, the rapture of the church that we talked about last Sunday. I love what Paul says in Titus 2 verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that is what we as the church are looking forward to. And as we've been following this timeline of the end times, that's what we believe is the next thing on the prophetic clock to happen is the rapture of the church. So we took the last two Sundays and we talked about the rapture, why we believe in a pre-tribulation rapture where the Lord is going to gather his bride to meet him in the air where we will forever be with him as 1 Thessalonians 4, 17 says. 1 Corinthians 15 says again that we're gonna be changed in the twinkling of an eye. So we believe the rapture of the church is gonna be brought up. God's gonna gather his bride and we're gonna be with Jesus uh, forever. We're gonna spend those next seven years in heaven with Jesus celebrating the marriage supper of the Lamb while the tribulation period is unfolding here on the earth. And so that's kind of what we're gonna be looking at today, next Sunday, and then after that, second coming of Christ. The second coming is distinct and separate from the rapture. The second coming of Christ, we'll take a Sunday to talk about that, which moves us then into the millennial reign of Christ, which we believe will be a literal, physical, thousand-year reign of Jesus here on the earth. And then after the thousand years, a new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem. We'll talk about that eternal state in other Sundays. So that's what we're going to be looking at for the next few Sundays is kind of following along in this timeline of end time stuff. So we talked about the rapture and uh, it's interesting because you can kind of think about that. I oftentimes have thought about that. So after the rapture and moving into that tribulation period, what are people gonna say? When all of a sudden millions of people are suddenly gone, vanished. And you would think a lot of people would kind of wake up and suddenly think, oh my goodness, maybe what all those people were talking about is real, it's true, they're suddenly not here where they go, what's the explanation for? And you would think at that time, you think everybody left on the earth would just be like crying and repentance going, okay God, we believe now, we get it. But that doesn't seem to be the case as you go through God's word and you see how things are unfolding in the tribulation period where even after God's pouring out these things on the earth, still it says people would not repent. It reminds us that it harkens back to the days of the Exodus when all these signs are happening and yet still Pharaoh would harden his heart, right? So you wonder, what are people gonna say after the rapture? Well, it's interesting, you know, isn't it, that uh, over the years we've kind of seen a heightened perhaps awareness or talk about you know ufos extraterrestrial life uh forms out there 
to where what was once maybe conspiracy theory or, you know, nut jobs who are out in their, you know, pickup drinking by the river, suddenly seeing a UFO, you're thinking, I don't know if I can really trust that testimony, right? And, and yet now we're seeing that moving from being much more of a, a, a mainstream kind of thought. In fact, just the beginning of this year, we've seen the CIA release and declassify all this info they've had that they've been building over 70 years to come out now and say, yeah, you know, we've got footage of, we got this and that about UFOs. You're seeing it in, in headlines and such now where this is becoming much more of a uh, a, a thought and an acceptance, which I believe is just, you know, even more so normalizing this to potentially be an excuse or an explanation for where did everybody go at the rapture? What happened to all these people? Oh, perhaps it's UFOs as, uh, you know, aliens have abducted them. All these, you know, people that have been standing in the way of just, you know, love and acceptance from you know fostering on the earth these were all these weirdos now that were all about you got to follow god and jesus is the way those were a bunch of the nut jobs that were holding everything back that's i think what people are going to say well aliens come and ducked them out of the way so we can now finally join hands and sing kumbaya together and everybody live in peace and harmony well that, we know that's not exactly what's going to happen but it's normalized that view potentially i'm not saying that's what it is and nor am i saying i believe in ufos or aliens because i believe that these are demonic entities and forces that satan is using to deceive people the bible says that satan can appear as an angel of light and so i believe that what people are perhaps seeing and what cia is putting out there it could very well be you know demonic deception here uh, to make people think that this is a a, a potential you know, possibility or uh, explanation for what's happened at the rapture. So just some ideas and thoughts there uh, to you here. But what's going to proceed or, or sorry, come after the rapture of the church is going to be this tribulation period that's going to unfold for seven years. Now, again, if you missed the last two Sundays, this is in fulfillment to what Daniel prophesied in Daniel chapter 9. Because Daniel was given a specific prophecy of 70 weeks that's determined for your people Daniel which is the Jewish people the nation of Israel determined for your people and for your holy city Jerusalem 70 weeks and that's the Jewish idiom to refer to seven uh, groups of sevens a week seven groups or 70 groups of sevens and so believe it's speaking of 70 groups of seven years 700 or sorry 490 years all right and and What's interesting is Daniel's is told to break that down now. 69, uh, 68 weeks and, and one week, 69 weeks basically he's told. And he's given a specific timetable from the time that the uh, decree is given to go and rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah, the prince comes. is going to be 69 weeks, 483 years or 173,880 days. There's been some calculations made from the time of that decree, which we know is in Nehemiah chapter two. Specific dating is given of the year of Artaxerxes, giving the decree to go and rebuild Jerusalem until Jesus came riding into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. The first time he allowed himself to be praised publicly as the Messiah was exactly 173,880 days. Those 69 days, groups of uh, of years fulfilled to the day but that means that there's one group of seven years still unfulfilled seven groups are still unfulfilled because when israel 
when Jesus came around in Jerusalem, remember Israel by and large cut him off. It says in Daniel 9 that, that the Messiah would be cut off, which meant uh, literally that he would be suffering the death penalty. And Jesus indeed went to the cross, was crucified. The Jews set him aside, but what happened is God set Israel aside temporarily, blinded in part, where we're now living in this church age, this, this age of grace. Israel set aside, but God's not done with Israel yet. We believe that, that there's still gonna come a time when God is gonna set his focus back on Israel. That's gonna happen in the tribulation, which is gonna fulfill those last seven years of Daniel's prophecy in Daniel chapter nine. So this is the, the, the purpose of the tribulation here that we see. Now the tribulation has been uh, referred to throughout scripture with different names and titles. It's been referred to as the day of the Lord in Isaiah chapter two, uh, in Joel chapter one. It's been referred to as this time of trouble or tribulation. It's been referred to as the great tribulation, which uh, grows in more intensity in this second half of the tribulation that Jesus spoke about in Matthew chapter 24. And then it's been called the time or day of trouble or the time of Jacob's trouble. So we see this reference to this tribulation period throughout scripture. But again, the purpose now of the tribulation, uh, twofold, first of all, is to judge the world and bring retribution for sin. Understand that the tribulation period is a time when God is again intervening into the affairs of the world and in, in humanity where we know he's always been and, and is in control, no doubt, but he's gonna directly begin to intervene in the affairs of the world and, and bring about this judgment for sin, for a Christ-rejecting world. Now again, he's not appointed us, the church, under wrath, but to obtain salvation. Again, why we believe we're gonna be raptured up before the tribulation. And again, the tribulation, not only is it a time of outpouring God's judgment, but it's also a time to refine Israel, where God's setting his focus back on his people Israel for this last seven year period that he's already prophesied of, where he's gonna prepare her to receive her Messiah. And truly during the tribulation, the Jews are gonna have the blinder lifted and they're gonna begin to recognize and understand that Jesus is indeed the Messiah that they've always been waiting for. Jesus is the one. So the, the, the tribulation period is gonna be that time of refining and preparing of his people, Israel. So though the tribulation is not gonna be a, a, a pretty time, it's gonna be crazy and chaotic, but the Lord, you see, is giving people an opportunity to turn back to him, not just the Jewish people, but all people are gonna be living during that time. You, you sometimes ask yourself, you know, God, if this is a time of judgment and just kind of refining your people, well, why seven years? Can't you just do this in a moment? Like, God, you're God, you can handle this, no problem. Just, just kind of carry out that judgment, open up Israel's hearts and eyes, and it's done. But he's given seven years because God's a God of of, of mercy and grace. He wishes that none would perish. He's given people an opportunity. And we'll see that as we go through this, this discussion on the tribulation, that throughout these events, God is giving allowance, giving opportunity for the gospel to go out, for people to be saved, and for people to come to know him and be spared, and to know that they can still receive eternal life in and through Jesus Christ. So God, though you look at this and you might think this is so harsh, God's allowing this to carry out for a time period to give people opportunity to turn to him. Now, if you got your Bibles, I hope you do, turn with me to Revelation chapter five. 
If you need a Bible, you want a Bible, just hold up your hand and I'm gonna get an usher to bring you a Bible right where you're sitting so that you can follow along because we wanna be in God's word. We wanna see what God's word has to say to us because I've got nothing to say to you. It's only God's word that's gonna speak to us. So um, I do have something to say to you, but I hope it's biblical is what I'm trying to say, I guess, right? So, um, so Revelation chapter five. Now again, we saw... Um, Again, I, I, I just want to say, you know, I believe the book of Revelation, though it's, it's complex in a lot of the, the pictures it's giving us and what we're dealing with, I believe it's a very easy book to understand. I think we've, we've easily complicated it or we've allegorized it or we've made it something that it wasn't intended to be. I think the book of Revelation is a very literal book and it gives us a very uh, literal chronological flow through this period of time known as the tribulation and then into, uh, again, things to come. John is told in Revelation 119, he's given a built-in outline, right? The things that you have seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. So John is told, right? The things which you have seen, which is chapter one, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ, conquering, risen, victorious, King Jesus. So that's who John sees, Revelation chapter one. That's what he's told to write, first of all. But then write the things which are. Chapters two and three detail the church and the church age. So he's given this view of seven churches of Asia that were in existence when John is writing this, this book here. That's the things that are. But then notice this in chapter four. Look at chapter four with me, verse one. After these things, I looked and behold, the door standing open in heaven and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me saying, come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. After what? After the churches are taken up to heaven in the rapture, which I believe chapter four is pinpointing and showing us here that John is caught up to heaven. It's the rapture and the church now is in heaven. We've detailed that, talked about that. They're the ones singing the song of Revelation 5, verse nine, you have redeemed us to God by your blood. Only the church can sing that. The church is in heaven before the tribulation period unfolds. So John is there. I believe the church is raptured up to heaven before the tribulation. And now John in Revelation chapter five sees something very interesting here. Let's look at this together. Revelation five, verse one, here's what we see. And I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits that God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. So, everybody gets that you're all looking at that going yeah okay we get it we know what is going on no you're all going what in the world is going on there what is this detailing that the book of revelation is supposed to be easy well let me break this down a little bit for you we see a scroll that's important now the question comes what's what's this scroll all about why is this important why is john weeping when he sees that nobody is worthy to open it 
But then suddenly we see Jesus Christ, the lamb who was slain, steps forth. And he's the one that's worthy to open it. So what is this scroll? A lot of people have given some opinions and ideas as to what the scroll might be. Some have thought that it's the Old Testament scriptures detailing for us what is already come some believe no it's actually you know the 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 law of moses right the the ten commandments that all of israel were you know to follow some believe it's um you know the the book of revelation or the things that are now to come that we'll be reading about throughout the book of revelation some believe it's those things that are to come i want to give another suggestion that i think is probably a more fitting suggestion is that the scroll is the title deed to planet earth and that would have been something that would have been very familiar to the jewish mindset because remember now in in israel nobody was allowed to you know sell that land to other people it could never be sold permanently even among each other it was god's land and it would remain in his possession but he did entrust it to the various tribes and the different families of Israel. Now, if someone had lost a piece of land, maybe it was by debt, and, and they lost that piece of land, well, that person would have the opportunity to buy it back when he was able, and he would have to show that he had the authority now to take the scroll, to break its seals, and that he was the right-fitting person, and those seals would begin to indicate the requirements now for buying that land back. So, under Jewish law, if you yourself couldn't redeem your property, a relative or near of kin could step in and redeem it. This way, the property remained in the family. If your relative did redeem it, he'd be known as the goel, which was a Hebrew word meaning kinsman redeemer. If you could redeem it, you would call for the elders of the city to meet with you before the city gates where all these kinds of transactions would take place. And you would bring out the scroll that had all the requirements upon it on those seals that were sealing up the scroll. You'd break the seals, you'd open the scroll and show your ability to pay the price, proving that you were the rightful heir and the right person to redeem that property. So this scroll in heaven that John is seeing, that nobody seemed worthy to open it until Jesus, the line was saying, step forward, was the only one, seems to be the title deed to planet Earth. But you might ask, well, isn't the Lord in control now and always has been? Why is he needing to take rightful possession of the Earth? Well, the answer is yes, he's always been in control, no doubt, but he's allowed some things to take place. You see, the title deed to Earth was originally given to Adam. There in the Garden of Eden, Adam was called to have dominion over all things on the earth that God had created, Genesis chapter one, verse 28. But remember, Adam forfeited that when he listened to his wife, which, you know, never is a good, thing. no, I'm not gonna, no. That's not what, we don't need to. I was just testing to see if there was any amens and I have to rebuke you. No, no, that's not allowed. No, we're not amending that, that's not allowed. We don't need, no. So Adam forfeited the right now to have dominion. When he handed that over to Satan, when he fell into temptation, when he willingly sinned. Adam willingly sinned. Eve was deceived, but Adam willingly sinned. I'm trying to dig myself back out of the hole, ladies. <clears throat> so Adam forfeited that right now to the, to the devil to have that rightful, you know, uh, dominion over the earth. It's interesting, isn't it, that Jesus himself 
calls Jesus the ruler of this world. John 12, verse 31, Paul himself says that Satan is the God of this world in, in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. Now, God is still on the throne. Always has been, always will be. We, we understand that. But God is given Satan uh, opportunity to kind of have his way. Satan can't do anything apart from God letting him do it, but he's allowing Satan to kind of, you know, have this sort of reign and rule on the things of this earth right now. That's why we see things so much in chaos and, 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 and evil just continuing to ramp up. People are quick to say, God, where are you? Why, if there is a God, why are all these things happening in this world? Because man's handed it over to Satan. And God's allowing Satan to run his course right now, but there's coming a day when God is gonna step in and say, enough now. I'm gonna take back what is rightfully mine. Jesus has created it, Jesus is gonna redeem it, and Jesus one day is gonna come and reign and rule on this earth, amen. Romans chapter eight says how even all the creation is groaning, longing for its redemption. Well, one day Jesus is gonna come and redeem it back. And we see that happening here in Revelation six, sorry, in Revelation five even, as he takes the scroll. And Jesus is saying, it's time now for me to kind of flex my muscles and say, I'm gonna claim back what is rightfully mine. And as the seals are broken and open, that's those judgments that begin to come out. That's the seal judgments. You've heard that term before, you know. We have in Revelation the seal judgments, seven of them. We have seven trumpet judgments and then seven bowl judgments. The seal judgments, you go, why are they called the seal judgments? Because he's opening these seals that were a very natural thing in the Hebrew mind with a scroll and a title deed to open that to say, I'm the rightful heir of this now. And Jesus is gonna step in again into history and say, it's time for me now to show my power and my authority and my might, and I'm gonna squash the enemy and I'm gonna show myself now during this tribulation period. That's what we see unraveling and unfolding here into chapter six of, of Revelation when these seals begin to be broken. Now, interestingly, Every kinsman redeemer had to meet three qualifications. He had to be, first of all, related to the original owner. He had to be able to fulfill the requirements for purchasing the property. And three, he had to be willing to buy back the property. Well, Jesus came as a relative of Adam, but more than that, he was fully God, the son of God. Jesus had every right to be our kinsman redeemer. Secondly, the requirements to purchase this real estate was death. Jesus came and died in our place and in so doing met the demands of Adam's disobedience and sin. And thirdly, he did this sacrificially and willingly. Jesus chose to come and redeem us. That's what a kinsman redeemer had to do. Willingly, sacrificially come and do this. So today we live in this period of time where we're awaiting the Lord to take hold of that which is rightfully his, that which he has already redeemed, and one day will come and lay claim to that redemption. Yes, he's reigning and ruling today. We know that, we believe that, but one day he's gonna come and now say, now it's time for me to fully take over and take care of all these things that the world has all along been saying, where is God? If there's a God, why is evil happening? Well, God's gonna show himself in this time. And we know as believers, he already shows himself today, no doubt. We know the goodness of God, the goodness of God in just saving us. But one day he's gonna show that now to the whole world and in what he does. So the tribulation. Here's a bit of a, a breakdown 
of what we see again, the tribulation period divided into, into I think, two kind of, uh, of groups now of three and a half years. Uh, Jesus referenced that as well. You'll see through the book of Revelation times where it's, it speaks of 42 months, three and a half years, or time, times, and, uh, and times and a half, or I forget the time, times, and half a time, three and a half years, right? So we see the breakdown there. In that first half of the tribulation, I know you can't read all that, uh, that fine print, but basically you see that the seal, uh, seven seals are coming, the seven trumpet judgments, and then we see some different intervals filled in there in the first half. And then the second half will be the bold judgments and then dealing with um, mystery Babylon. We're gonna get in the second half of the tribulation next week. We're just gonna cover the first half um, here today. Um, but to kind of break that down a little bit more here, so you can see just kind of the first half of that, seven seals, seven trumpets, again with some intervals here that we will talk about in a second. So the first seal, look at Revelation 6, first one. <clears throat> now I saw when the lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, come and see. And I looked and behold, a white horse, he who sat on it had a bow and a crown was given to him and he went out conquering and to conquer. So we look at the first seal, we see a rider coming and, and the first four seals are, are known as, you know, the, the four uh, horsemen of the apocalypse, right? Um, and you're gonna see four horses coming with riders on it and that kind of a thing. This first rider on this horse Many go, oh man, that looks like a picture of Christ. Christ is coming, you know, now to uh, redeem all these things. And a lot of people have thought this looks like Christ, but um, I don't believe this is Jesus Christ. I believe this is the Antichrist, who again is going to come on the scene at the onset of the tribulation. We talked last week how in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we're told that um, he who now restrains will do so until he's taken all the way, and then the lawless one will be revealed. Who is he that is restraining? Well, I believe it's, it's a picture of, it's the Holy Spirit in the church. So it's not the removal of the Holy Spirit, but it's the removal of the church and the influence of the Holy Spirit through the church that's holding things back in the world right now. Once that goes, then all hell can really break loose. And then it says that the, the Antichrist will then be revealed. So the Antichrist is revealed after the rapture. We're not... We're, I don't believe we're going to know who the, the Antichrist is. A lot of times we're looking for the Antichrist. Who is it? It's got to be, got to be that person. No, I think it's that person. Uh, I believe, listen, I believe the Antichrist very well could be alive right now and, and maybe at work in some kind of political uh, position, but I don't believe we're going to know the identity of the Antichrist until we're gone out of the way and then the Antichrist will be revealed. So I believe this is the Antichrist. The Antichrist doesn't come Oftentimes we think of that word anti as like, you know, he's like against Jesus, opposed to that he's going to come, you know, speaking down on, on God and all these things. And he's going to be this shady character, you know, black drench coat hanging out in dark alleys. You know, he's going to be this evil persona. We think that, I don't think, the, I think the Antichrist, <clears throat> that term anti can also mean in place of, instead of. So I don't believe he comes in opposition, but I think he comes in place of the Messiah, that people are waiting for, waiting for somebody to emerge on the scene. Again, as we talk about all this globalism that's going on, right? <clears throat> that's the big buzzword. 
Everything's about bringing people together and, and we need to work together to save our planet. All this global talk, well, we're gonna need a global leader to really see that come into fruition all the more. That's the position I believe this Antichrist is gonna hold. He's gonna be this global leader. Daniel talks about how there's gonna be this you know, kind of coalition of nations and it's gonna have this one uh, leader that's gonna emerge out of it. That's gonna be the role of the Antichrist here. He's gonna come looking to be in place of Christ. I'm the one that's gonna solve all your problems. I'm the one that's gonna make everything better and it's gonna cause people to rush to the acceptance of him. Oftentimes I think, why are people gonna accept the Antichrist? And in fact, especially the Jews, where you go, why will the Jews accept this person as their Messiah? Well, he's gonna come on the scene. Daniel 9 tells us what's he gonna do first. He's gonna uh, bring in this peace treaty, this peace covenant. That's something that has failed time and time again especially in the Middle East, to bring about peace. That place is, is just ready to erupt all the time. Israel's never experienced peace with their fellow neighbors since they've been there in, as a nation again. And yet we keep trying and presidents step in. They keep trying, never happens. Because Israel's neighbors are not interested in peace. They're interested in the annihilation of Israel. There's a spiritual work that's going on. That's why, again, we know that God's not done with Israel. God's got a special role for his people, and this becomes a spiritual issue, I believe, at work led by the enemy. And it's gonna, uh, the Antichrist is gonna come on the scene, and he's gonna bring about peace now that everybody's been longing for. But with that peace treaty, I believe, what he's gonna do, he's gonna do something else special. It's gonna bring about the allegiance or loyalty or acceptance of the Jews. See, when I go to Israel, and I've been to Israel a number of times, and it's fascinating, I love it every time. But when I go to Israel, I, I will ask people that are living there, I'll ask Jewish people, what is it that you're looking for in the Messiah? How will you know when your Messiah comes on the scene? You know what they tell me? They say, he's gonna lead us in the rebuilding of our temple. This is what Jews are waiting for today. They've been without for, for 2,000 years. For millennia, they've been without their, their temple where they can come and bring sacrifices and, and carry out all these things that they feel they need to continue to carry out. But we know during the tribulation, there's gonna be a temple that's gonna be rebuilt. The question is, how are you gonna see a temple rebuilt when you have on the Temple Mount this Dome of the Rock, this Islamic shrine that if anybody were to touch that would erupt in World War III? There's been... There's been chaos that has that broken out on the Temple Mount. I've been in Israel when things like that have, have happened. Um, and uh, not, not severely bad. I don't want to hinder anybody from going to Israel because everybody freaks out about <laughs> what we do trips. Is it safe? It's, it's safe, relatively. Um, <clears throat> no, it is. It's great. God's with us. That's the key. But, but so it... Jews, Jews can't be up there. We have to go through strict security to go up there. We gotta, you know, we gotta cover up, you know, follow kind of Muslim protocol. We can't wear shorts up there. It's very strict. We gotta be very careful, you know, um, in everything. But now how is a temple ever gonna be built up there in this day? Well, what's interesting is just to the right of the temple or uh, right of the Dome of the Rock, you can't see it, but in that red circle, there is what's called, there's a gazebo, and it's known as the Dome of the Spirits or Dome of the Tablets. And I've been up there, I've been in that gazebo. What people believe is that right below that is where the Holy of Holies sat in the tabernacle, in the temple that was built there. 
And in the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant where, again, the, the two tablets of the commandments were placed, where people would meet with God, where the high priest one day a year would go in the Holy of Holies and meet with God. That's why they referred to it as the Dome of the Spirits or the Dome of the Tablets. So that's an option where they could build the temple. There's a lot of real estate up there where they could build the temple without having to move the Dome of the Rock. In fact, John is told in Revelation chapter 11 to measure the temple, but leave out the court of the Gentiles, which could be referring to the Dome of the Rock. So it's very possible that it could be built there. Here's another suggestion, one that's, I think, gaining some momentum, is that there are those that now have begun to think, was the temple actually even there on the Temple Mount? See, some have begun to say, maybe the temple actually was in the city of David, which is right there beside the temple, the Temple Mount. Now, what then would the temple, how could it not have been on the Temple Mount? We call it the Temple Mount. What was that mount then? Well, some believe that that Temple Mount was actually the Antonia Fortress where the Roman soldiers would gather, especially on Jewish holy days. They would have a legion of soldiers gather, a legion of 6,000 soldiers. Now, traditionally, the Roman, uh, the Antonia Fortress is there on the kind of the top corner there, right where it says Fort Antonia. And it's a structure there that you look at and you go, how could 6,000 soldiers have camped out there? It's very possible that the whole thing that Herod would have had built for Rome there, again, built higher than the temple because Herod was a very prideful man, would have built higher than and bigger than the temple structure. And we're told when, when outbreak was happening, you know, there during one of the feast days with Paul, there in the book of Acts, that they came down from the Antonia Fortress to the temple. So it's very possible that was the Antonia Fortress where the Temple Mount sits today. Now, what's interesting is to have a temple, you would need a lot of uh, accessible water, right? The priests were doing uh, ritual cleansing all the time to serve in the tabernacle there were, or serve in the temple. There were sacrifices being made that would have needed a lot of cleaning up after. There's, no, there's only one water source in Jerusalem, and that's the Gihon Springs that sits in the city of David. In fact, with recent excavation, they've begun to see that right there by the Gihon Springs, they found in some areas that they believe perhaps where the temple would have been, they found some holes in the, in the rock that they could have used for tethering animals and sacrifices to. They found trenches that run along where perhaps, you know, the, the blood would have flowed there to wash away. It's the only source of water there in the city of David. It's very possible. I'm not saying this is for sure but it's a possibility that the temple could be rebuilt there in the city of David where, uh, again, they would be far, far away, not far away, but further away from even having to worry about the Dome of the Rock and not even have to be on the Temple Mount. All these things are in place now, ready to go. We, you go to Israel today, you can go visit the Temple Institute and you see furnishings in place for the temple. You see clothing, the, the priestly robe in place. Uh, priests are being trained now. Sacrifices have begun to be done on certain Jewish uh, feast days now in Israel. People are ready. People are wanting to see a temple rebuilt. And this is gonna be a role of the Antichrist here with the release of the first seal. Antichrist is gonna come on the scene and he's gonna look like this is the guy that everybody's been waiting for. 
He's going to bring on peace. He's going to lead the Jews in the rebuilding of the temple. Everything looks wonderful. That's what's going to start the tribulation period. Well, moving on and along with the breakdown of the seals, we're, we're going to just be skimming through things here today. Um, but uh, second seal now deals with war. So again, this, this peace is not going to last long. There's going to be war, conflict on earth. And, and notice here, it, it, in verse 4 it says, And it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another, and there was given to him a great sword. So the Antichrist comes, and he's going to set up peace for a time, but it doesn't say that he's going to be initiating war. He just has to take peace away. He takes peace. Then the third seal is going to be famine, scarcity on the earth, which is oftentimes kind of the, the, the fallout from war and, and from things like this happening. There's going to be um, uh, great scarcity on the earth where it says in verse 6, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil and the wine. There's going to be an inflation uh, of things to purchase. Things are going to be um, flying off shelves and shelves are going to sit empty. In fact, you're seeing that now even um, in the states and in places where uh, shelves and stores are not, you know, staying stocked like they once were. Um, people are really concerned about the potential of, you know, um, resources being limited. And that's going to be something that's going to be happening during the tribulation period. Fourth seal is widespread death on the earth. This pale horse, this fourth horseman of the apocalypse comes and it's going to bring death it says that a fourth of the earth's population will be devoured I and mean, we can't even begin to imagine what that's going to be like and this is only the start of things we've already seen millions of people raptured up gone vanished away that people are going to be struggling to find an explanation for now a fourth of the earth's population is going to be dying off right at near the beginning of the tribulation here but then in verse 9 of revelation 6 we see the fifth seal, which is the cry of the martyrs. When you open the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God, for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. Now that sounds very interesting. Who are these that are under the altar? It's those that were slain for the word of God, for the testimony. These are the, the martyrs. That word martyr in the Greek means witness it comes from the word martus which simply means witness these were witnesses for the lord who well were they these are people that got saved during the tribulation perhaps these were ones that uh saw you know the disappearance of people and were woken up to realize like oh my goodness these are the people that were saying that jesus is the way the truth and the life maybe they had a right and these are people that got saved at some point in the tribulation, but now they've been martyred for their faith. For what? For the word of God and for the testimony in which they held. They put their faith in Jesus. Isn't it interesting that we're seeing, it, it seems more and more animosity towards believers. I mean, we, we, people have been um, sadly martyred over the years, but now we're seeing that kind of becoming more of a, you know, attack kind of 
in our society and in our culture, not to the point of, of death, but just this amped up kind of hatred towards people that want to uphold the word of God, that have a testimony of Jesus Christ. People more and more are like, man, I don't want to hear that. And, and start to think that we're people that are just filled with hate. You look at what, you know, I mean, we went through just with being open and how we were labeled as selfish people. You know, you don't love others. And we're just trying to stay true to the word of God, to our testimony of the Lord, and yet the kind of vitriol and hatred that gets thrown at believers today seems like it's just growing. Where the world feels almost justified in that response. So we're gonna see that, but notice here, they're crying out, how long, O oh Lord? Isn't that something that we might find ourselves oftentimes saying, Lord, how long? We're ready to see. We're ready for you to come back again. How long, Lord? But yet, what does the Lord say? Well, it says that he clothes them in a white robe. And it said to them that they should rest a little while longer. I think that's a great, a great encouragement for us to understand, listen, you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And though we live in a world that is opposed to that by and large, we live in a world that oftentimes wants to come against us for our testimony. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We have the, the blessed hope before us. And though we might say, how long? What does the Lord say? Just rest, rest in me. Just know that he's got it all taken care of. Like we've often said, when it looks like the world is falling apart, we recognize that it's all just actually falling into place by the hand of the Lord who's leading and orchestrating all these things. And, and we're called simply to rest in him put our trust in him, to know that all these things are gonna, are gonna work out. So we rest in him. The sixth seal now is just cataclysmic events that are unfolding on there. Look at verse 14. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand. So notice here, this is affecting all people. Kings of the earth, great men, rich men, mighty men, every slave and every free man. And what's happening, they're hiding themselves. When they see these six seals that are released and they see just all the crazy things that are happening, they're saying, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne because his great wrath has come. They're recognizing that this is a result of the wrath of the lamb. And this is judgment being poured out upon the world. And this is happening just at the beginning of the tribulation. That's why we believe that the whole of the tribulation is the judgment of God. And if God's not appointed us to wrath but to attain salvation, then we're gonna be out of here, raptured up. But they ask, they ask the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand? Well, chapter seven kind of answers that. And I hope you're all doing okay and you don't have to be anywhere because, man, I was rushing through this, this first two services. I was barely able to get through. I was like talking five times faster than normal. But um, so I hope you're all okay. You don't need to be anywhere because we're gonna just keep going here for a little bit longer. Not much longer, don't worry. But 
no more than like an hour or two. Um, so chapter 7, again now, is one of those interval chapters, right? Like we talked about with that little list that we saw here. This interval, we'll see these intervals come after, you know, the judgments, the seals, and after the trumpet judgments. And what those are, like I said, was that this is kind of filling in a bit more information as to what's been going on already. So what's happening, who is able to stand? Well, God's got a remnant, and he'll always have a remnant, a faithful people that will continue to be a witness for him in whatever day we find ourselves in. So 144,000 are sealed, marked from all the tribes of Israel. And these people are going to get saved. They're going to have their eyes opened to the reality of who Jesus is, that he's their Messiah. And they're going to get saved, and they're going to go out and evangelize in the tribulation period. I think it's so awesome, so wonderful. And we see the heart of the Father here, that though this is a time of tribulation and judgment being poured out, he's not without a witness, and he's desiring for the testimony and for the truth to continue to go out for people to turn and repent and find salvation in him. Habakkuk 3, 2 says, in wrath, remember mercy. And this is exactly what's happening. Is that even in the midst of wrath, God is allowing mercy to go out and people to hear the good news. We're going to see it in chapter 11 with the two witnesses. We'll talk about them next week. We see with angels that are flying through the heavens announcing the the arrival of the kingdom of God or that the, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God. So God is continuing to see the witness going out here now. And so the seventh seal now is the silence in heaven, chapter 8. And you might ask, why is there silence in heaven? Well, perhaps it's in preparation or awe of the coming judgments that will be coming upon the earth. Understand, we see the, the judgments increasing in intensity from the seals to then the seven trumpet judgments and then into the seven bowl judgments. They're going to get more and more intense. In fact, it, it parallels very closely to what Jesus talked about in Matthew 24 when he talked about the tribulation. When he talked about how there will be deception and many people claiming to be Christ and then moving into the midway point, the abomination of desolation. We'll talk about that next week. And then Jesus moved into the end of chapter 24 where he talked about how there will be even more intense signs and wonders taking place that's what we see with these judgments where in revelation chapter six you know where it talked about the mountains were moved well when we get to the end of the bowl judgments, it says that the mountains were just disappeared they were taken right not just moved but they're like gone i mean they just intensify in nature with these judgments that are unfolding so now we see the first trumpet in chapter eight verse seven and it says there that hail and fire mingled with blood was thrown down to earth and it resulted in a third of the trees being destroyed and the grass being burned up. All right? Now we've experienced that this summer with some intense uh, heat. I don't know about you if you've all kept your lawns watered. I didn't do a good job with that. We've got some dried up grass right now. But think about a third of the, the vegetation and trees just kind of being burned up and and the grass just being gone joel chapter 2 verse 30 alludes to this very thing when it says there and i will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth blood and fire and pillars of smoke and that's what's being cast down here now in this first trumpet then the second trumpet is that the oceans are affected in chapter 8 
verse eight and nine. A third of the oceans were turned to blood, killing a third of all life in it. Can you imagine the stench of rotting seafood right now? I mean, just you just leave some shrimp out on the island for uh, a few hours and you start to know, oh man, that's not good any longer. Th- imagine a third of ocean life just being wiped out, just floating on the surface, just rotten, gross. Okay, why am I dwelling on that? I don't know, but let's move on. <laughs> third trumpet, Revelation 8, verse 10 to 11 is now a third of the freshwater sources are affected. And it, and it tells us there that um, this star uh, called Wormwood is cast down and it made the waters bitter. And it's interesting, you can parallel a lot of these things that are unfolding with the plagues that took place in Egypt where the waters were turned to blood, you know, uh, and, and all these different things that we see. There's a lot of parallels with the plagues of Egypt, but this, this star is thrown down and it made the waters bitter to the point where people that drank from it died. So there's some kind of poisonous effect to it here. Fourth trumpet was that heavens are affected. Revelation 8, 12, where the sun, the moon, and the stars will be damaged that they only give two-thirds of their light. So we see that these are days that aren't gonna get (laughs) brighter and brighter. They're gonna get darker and darker until the Son of Man comes. Understand, that's, that's the time that we're living in, guys. I believe that as a church, oh, we wanna be having a witness, we wanna be uh, salt and light in this world, but understand that what the Bible shows us is that days are gonna get darker and darker, more and more evil. We're not expecting there to be uh, a great revival or that the church is gonna turn everything around. The Bible shows us that things are gonna get worse and worse. The love of many is gonna grow cold, Jesus says. It's gonna get worse and worse. It's only gonna get better when Jesus comes back again and redeems this world and sets up his kingdom on earth. And that's gonna happen after this tribulation period. Oh, there'll be, there'll be some revival in the tribulation as we're seeing, 144,000 sealed Jews that are gonna go and evangelize. Oh, there'll be a revival in the tribulation, but I believe by and large, things are gonna get darker and darker as we're seeing. And then Revelation 8, 13, it says that we see the angel flying in the midst of heaven shouting out this, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blast of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. So these first four trumpet judgments, they're very natural. They, they affected the natural elements of the earth, right? Uh, vegetation, ocean water, um, and fresh water, and then the celestial kinds of uh, sun, moon, stars, that sort of a thing. But now the next two judgments are much more serious. They're, they're not affecting natural things. They're, they're supernatural in nature and, and demonically um, influenced here. As we see, it's, it's as if this angel in verse 13 is saying, whoa, 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 you think what you've seen so far is pretty scary. You just wait, you ain't seen nothing yet, basically, is what he's saying. Because now what we see with the fifth trumpet is that these locusts emerge from the bottomless pit or these demonic forces, we believe. Demonic forces from the bottomless pit come out and, and they begin to, again, just torment. And it says, notice in verse five of chapter nine, They were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. So uh, we're not sure exactly what's gonna be going on. Perhaps it's again some kind of plague that's breaking out on people. Um, 
we'll, we'll leave it right there. There's lots of speculation you can make, but we'll leave it right there. Uh, sixth trumpet, then it says that, that there's going to be some angels released from the Euphrates, where it seems like they've been bound uh, specifically and specially held in captivity until this time. Peter alludes to these demons that have been chained up for a period of time. And these angels are going to come and, and, and they're going to they're gonna lead, as it says here, this 200 million person army. Verse 16, now the number of the army, the horsemen, was 200 million. I heard the number of them. Now many thought in times past, is this really dealing with a, a literal physical army? Because up until the early 1900s, people were going, there's no, there's no country that can you know, have that size of an army. Not until in, in you know, last recent decades, we've seen nations like China. China, in 1965, boasted that it could field an army of 200 million. It was in Time magazine. They're boasting that they could hold a 200 million army. For years and years, people speculated and wondered, this, this couldn't be little. That, that's just too many people. But now as we've seen just a population explosion, and we've seen what China particularly is capable of, and we see these armies are coming, these armies from the east now, and the way was opened up for them to come, and perhaps this is a, a coalition of armies that are going to be forming, that are going to be coming against God's people, and against God himself here at the end of the tribulation. So it's being demonically influenced, though. These angels released from the pit, these demons that are released here and demonically influencing these armies to come against God's people, Israel, during this time. And then in a chapter 10 and 11, we see again the, this interval. So the, the judgments um, have been given, the seal and trumpet judgments. The last of each judgment kind of gives way to the next set of judgments that are going to come. And so next week, we're going to pick it up and we'll look at chapter 11 with the two witnesses and then begin to discuss a little bit more about the bold judgments and and leading us up to the second coming of Jesus that will bring an end to that tribulation period. So we'll continue the second half of the tribulation next week. But just in, in, in closing here again, when we look at material like this, this is not always, you know, I don't, I don't get super stoked about talking about tribulation to come. Um, it's not something I get all amped up about. I'm excited to know the program of God, that we can see that very clearly. I'm excited to know what, what God has in store and more so what he has in store for the church. But I pray that it would cause our heart to be stirred for people that don't know Jesus right now. That as we look at these things, man, we start to have that Father's heart that says, man, there are people that are perishing. There are people that are going to sadly have to go through the, the difficulty and calamity of these events, but they can be spared from that. They don't have to go through that judgment of God because God has already meted out his judgment upon his son. For all those that put their trust in Jesus Christ, that repent of their sin and turn to Jesus, we understand that our sin has already been judged. Jesus took that bullet for us. Jesus stood in our place so that we wouldn't have to deal with the judgment of God any longer, but that we could be spared, forgiven. And we know that he is going to be taking us home to be with him forever one day. But we don't want others to miss out on that. 
Now, I know we oftentimes don't like to talk about hell and judgment. We want just the message to be all rosy and clear, but sometimes we have to give the bad news for people to be open and receptive to hear the good news. And that's what we do when we go through chapters and passages like this. It's not fun to talk about necessarily, but we recognize what God does have in store, that to every person it's appointed to them to die, and then the judgment, Hebrews tells us. Every person is gonna stand before God one day. The question is, are you gonna stand before God and try to atone for your sins in that time, which it'll be too late? Or are you gonna stand before God knowing that you've already put your trust in Jesus to where your sins have already been covered, atoned for, judged there on the cross at Calvary? And we need to take that message to other people, to our family, to our friends, to our neighbors, to tell them that they can be spared from all these things to come. They can be spared from judgment by receiving Jesus as their Lord and Savior today, by putting their trust in Him. And if you're watching at home today, online, if you're here today with us, and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, you don't know where you stand, you don't know with confidence that if you were to die today, you'd be in heaven with Jesus. If you don't know that, that can change today in a heartbeat. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to be worried about that. You can be in confidence today that when you die, you'll be with Jesus forever and ever if you repent of your sin and you turn to Jesus Christ and you put your trust in him, knowing that he hung upon a cross to take the judgment of God for your sin and my sin. Turn to Jesus today. Put your trust in him. Because he's our blessed hope. He's our confidence, and it's only in him. But may we, as believers, be sure that we are fired up (laughs) to go and share that with other people, to make the most of every day. Because I believe Jesus is coming soon. Time is getting shorter and shorter. So may we make the most of every day and opportunity we have to share this good news with people. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, man, I love the 1130 service (laughs) because... I can't fit all that in in those other two services, so thank you for letting me go longer today. I'm going to hear it from my wife later, but pray for me. It'll be okay. (laughs) So let's pray. Worship team, come on up here. Let's close with a song. Lord, thank you so much for today and just letting us um, take time to look at these things, and these are difficult things to go through, no doubt, but Lord, as we do, as the as your people, Lord, we are filled with just joy and encouragement to know that, Lord, you've not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation. And we know we have confidence that in you and through you and because of you, Lord, we don't have to fear what is to come, but we await with joy and excitement at the one who is to come. We look forward to your appearing, Jesus. But in, that me- in the meantime, may we live as faithful witnesses of you sharing the good news with people around us, Lord. Whether they receive it or not, we leave it to you, Lord, and, and, and we pray that your spirit would just be on the move in us and through us and leading others to you, Jesus. We pray in your name, amen. Let's stand together. Let's close with a song here today.